0: mm Thank you and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packel. Welcome to Scripture and Tradition where we take a look at the Holy Word of God through the lens of the apostolic tradition, that tradition that goes back to the apostles and Jesus. Now we'd love to have you become part of our show. You can do it in three ways, like the nice people we have here in the audience. You can be part of our studio audience. Or you can call in during the live broadcast which is Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And the phone number you can call is 1 800 221 9460. 1 221 9460. Or if you are outside North America, where that number won't work, you still can call in, but it's country code 1 1- area code 205-271-2980, 205-271-2980. Or you can send us questions and comments by email by writing to ScriptureAndTradition at EWTN.com. You can also follow us and participate with the show on YouTube. Today we'll talk a little bit about how Our Lord Jesus summoned St. Peter to turn again even after his failures to be the leader that he was meant to be. We'll also start to discuss Jesus' washing of the apostles' feet as another action in spiritual war between good and evil. That takes place at the Last Supper. So we'll take a look at both of those today. Let's first of all take a look at our Lord's words. Um, uh, to Peter Um, remember we're going through my book Wheat and Tares Restoring the Moral Vision of a Scandalized Church and you can still get that book at EWTN's Religious Catalog just go to EWTNRC.com where it is item number 81098 81098 and as we go through this chapter on the Last Supper, um, we see that the verse in Luke 22, verse 32, uh, talks about what our Lord is saying. That uh, when he tells Peter, When you have turned again, now by turned again, it means turn back. Uh, the, the word TO REPENT MEANS TO TURN AROUND AND HERE IS TO TURN AGAIN. AND THIS IS SOMETHING VERY IMPORTANT um, BECAUSE FIRST OF ALL, THE IMPLICATION IS THAT PETER WOULD NOT BE CONSTANT IN HIS FAITH. HE WAS NOT GOING TO STAY FAITHFUL. And you can see why Peter would react in chapter 22, verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. That he's, his own mind is that he's courageous and he would go to death with Jesus. And He'd been hearing our Lord talk about, you know, picking up your cross and following me. PLUS, HE HAD BECOME CLOSE FRIENDS WITH JESUS. HE CAME TO LOVE HIM AS A GREAT FRIEND. AND HE'S READY TO GO WITH HIM. AND, YOU KNOW, WHEN YOU FIND, YOU KNOW, A GOOD LEADER THAT YOU TRUST, A LOT OF TIMES YOU'RE IN SITUATIONS WHERE YOU'LL FOLLOW THEM INTO DEADLY SITUATIONS. THAT HAPPENS IN A LOT OF MILITARY SITUATIONS. Uh, and throughout history, we have stories of courage and the willingness to follow great leaders. Well, that's what Peter wants to do. He's is ready to do that. But our Lord knows better. This, again, is another element of Christ demonstrating his divinity where he knows he's God. He, and the way that he demonstrates his divinity is in that unique quality of God to be able to know what is inside our hearts and minds. This is no small issue. It's very difficult for many people to understand what is in our heart and mind. We don't only even know our own mind very easily. Think about how many people have spent money talking to counselors and psychologists in order to find out what's really going on in my mind. What are my real motives? We all have motives on the outside, that are agreeable to us, the way that we see ourselves is one thing, and it's oftentimes quite different from the way God sees us. Christ is in that situation. Peter sees himself as loyal and courageous, even to the point of death. And that's what he wants to be. But our Lord knows that what He wants is not what He is capable of doing. He doesn't have the inner strength to do what He says. And this is something that's important for all of us. So our Lord responds to Peter in verse 34 and very soberly predicts to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you three times deny that you know me. If you've been around farms in rural areas, you know that you know before the sun is even up, roosters start to crow. That's just what they do. And they're announcing the coming of the dawn. You, you hear that with other birds as well. Usually they're among the first. You can be out in the woods and you know, right at before dawn, owls will start to hoot and crows will start to call. You know, this is just one of those things that birds do to make their announcement. Turkeys will start to gobble. You know, they wanna wake up the dawn and they respond to it. Well, our Lord says that, you know, in that very early Morning, before the light is even there, that that's when the uh, roosters crow. Peter, uh, will you will deny me that you know me three times? Now that's pretty strong, and this is where the way that he knows Peter's weakness, uh, and I think it's important to see that this weakness is not just something that's in Peter. It's, it's there. And he's got to be responsible for his weakness, and we'll see that he is. He's going to go out and weep because of his weakness. But it's also something that was predicted in the Scripture. So we see in Luke 22, verse 37, For I tell you, the Scripture must be fulfilled in me, And he was reckoned with transgressors, for that is written about me, has its fulfillment. Now, what's he doing? He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, This is in 53 verse 12. It's one of the four songs of the servant. Four times there are passages, poetic passages, IN ISAIAH 42, 49, 52, and, uh, uh, excuse me, 51 and 53, that these four songs are seen as predictions of Christ as the servant of the Lord. And that we, we look to those passages as referring to Jesus. But most especially... Isaiah 53, that really points to Jesus. Let me read what Isaiah wrote in 53, 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, this is something that we can do well to reflect on. This, by the way, is one of the readings that we have in the Roman rite on Good Friday. This is one of the readings uh, that comes before the reading of the Passion. Uh, The other songs are read earlier in the week on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then again on Friday, this chapter 53. And there are a number of things to have there. First, that he is going to have a portion with the great and divide spoil with the strong. This is a verse... Promising victory to the servant. This is a, ultimately, for uh, especially as Christians, read this, it's a prediction of Christ rising from the dead. But it is preceded with this pouring his soul out to death. Jesus is going to have to die. His victory was predicted to come about through his death and then, of course, resurrection and that he would be numbered with transgressors. You know, it is a real true point that we are often known by our associates. If you hang around a lot of bad hombres, you can start to imitate them and become a bad hombre, or if you're already bad, you might just get worse. Hanging around with transgressors or sinners is, you know, going to make you worse. And the assumption is that if you are with a bad crowd, transgressors, and the the word. Tra- for transgressors here means people who rebel. It's roughly the equivalent in Hebrew for committing a mortal sin. They have different words for sin in Hebrew. Uh, one word, shigaga, means simply just to wander around aimlessly. And it's people who wander around, not very bright, being kind of ignorant, and they wander into sin. But they're not trying to be bad. They just sort of wander into it. Kind of like Pinocchio when he goes to Pleasure Island. Whereas some people are doing iniquity, and that means to be bent. That's more serious where you misshape yourself. The image is of an arrow. And if you have an arrow, I do some archery, and if your arrow is bent, you cannot hit your target. It won't go straight. You have to have a straight arrow in order to hit your target. And that's another word for sin. Chata means to miss your target. AND SO that, THAT'S ANOTHER BAD. BUT THE WORST WORD FOR SIN IN HEBREW IS PESHA. AND PESHA MEANS TO TRANSGRESS OR TO REBEL. THAT'S WHEN YOU KNOW WHAT YOU'RE DOING IS WRONG AND IT'S SERIOUS. AND HERE JESUS IS BEING COUNTED AMONG THOSE TRANSGRESSORS. HE'S WITH THOSE BIG SINNERS. And of course, the assumption is that he would be a big sinner. But, pay attention to the rest of the verse. Because Isaiah then says, Yet he bore the sin, chata, of many, the missing the mark, and made intercession for the transgressors. That Jesus is among the sinners, in order to redeem the sinners. And this is the case with with Peter. And notice how our Lord cites that as he predicts Peter's denial. He said, I'm counted among the transgressors. But just like he had said a couple minutes before, he was also making intercession for Peter and the apostles. That's what Isaiah predicted. Jesus would be among sinners in order to intercede for them because even those who commit really serious sins, murder in its various forms and serious deception because deception is always from the evil one. And when we do mortal sin Jesus our Lord does not stop interceding for us. He wants us all to be saved and He will pray that we turn around from our transgression and sin and come back to God. He will always be there interceding for us until we finally make the moment where we uh, reject God and go to hell. But until that point, He will always intercede for us and that's very important and that it's going to be precisely his suffering and death that overcomes the sin his suffering will be able to bring forgiveness and reconciliation and he will bring that reconciliation with the apostles remember the context this is still the last supper he had just made them his first 12 bishops and he's going to intercede for them, knowing that they're going to fail, but he's not going to cease to intercede because he wants to bring those priests back to him. So this is something where we see that our Lord Jesus put Peter's upcoming failure. He knows about the failure and the failure of leadership, the failure of of faith in Peter and trust, BUT HE SEES IT IN THE LINE OF OLD TESTAMENT PROPHECY AND THAT GOD WILL BE ABLE TO INCLUDE THIS IN THE PLAN OF SALVATION. AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT WILL BE PART OF JESUS' MINISTRY. AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT IS VERY IMPORTANT FOR ALL OF US. ALL OF US HAVE TO DEAL WITH OUR OWN SINS. We, MOST OF US WOULD HAVE VARIOUS MORTAL SINS AND SERIOUS OFFENSES AGAINST GOD. AND CHRIST IS interceding FOR US. AND IN THE THEME OF THIS BOOK, WHERE WE'VE BEEN DEALING WITH THE PRIEST ABUSE SCANDAL, OUR LORD WANTS THE PEOPLE WHO DID THESE VARIOUS SINS TO REPENT. HE WANTS THE PRIESTS AND BISHOPS AND CARDINALS who committed these terrible offenses, uh, especially against the young, to repent. Doesn't mean that he would put them back in positions of authority necessarily, because they may or may not be trustable. But he does want them to repent and come back to him, and perhaps live a life of repentance. And this is a very important verse for the hope for. Repentance FOR EVERYBODY, uh, INCLUDING THESE PRIESTS. AND IN THAT WAY, PERHAPS, AND THIS IS SOMETHING I'VE BEEN THINKING ABOUT, PRIESTS WHO DID SUCH ABUSE COULD LIVE A LIFE OF PENITENCE, SHOWING SORROW FOR WHAT THEY DID AND INTERCEDING THEMSELVES FOR GOD'S MERCY IN THEIR LIVES, BUT ALSO TO SPEND TIME IN PRAYER AND PENANCE FOR THE YOUNG PEOPLE THAT THEY OFFENDED. again, THIS DOESN'T MEAN THEY JUST WANT TO PUT THEM BACK INTO THE PUBLIC MINISTRY, BUT A LIFE OF PENITENCE AND HEALING WOULD BE SOMETHING OUR LORD WOULD BE WILLING TO GIVE THEM AND CALL THEM TO LIVE. SO THIS IS ONE OF THE THINGS I WANT US TO PRAY FOR, IS THAT THE AUTHENTIC REPENTANCE REALLY GOES ON FOR EVERYONE. We're going to take a break, come back, and we'll start with the foot washing in John 13. So please stay with us. Welcome back. Now, first of all, I want to remind you not to miss the 2023 EWTN Family Celebration that will be on Saturday, August 26th, right here in Birmingham, Alabama, at the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex. If you are able to join us, please do, just contact EWTN.com slash FAMILY CELEBRATION, EWTN.COM SLASH FAMILY CELEBRATION, OR YOU CAN CALL 1-800-447-3986. THIS IS TO REGISTER. IT'S A FREE EVENT. WE JUST NEED TO KNOW HOW MANY PEOPLE ARE PLANNING TO COME HERE, OKAY? SO, WE ARE Continuing on in my book, Wheat and Tears, and we're on page seventy-two. In case folks don't know quite where we are, uh, it's the chapter on the Last Supper, and this is the last segment in the the chapter on the Last Supper. It'll take us a couple weeks. Um, this is where Jesus washes the apostles' feet, and that is found in John chapter thirteen, verses two to eleven. To, yeah, two to eleven. Now. FIRST, WE SEE THAT THE GOSPEL OF ST. JOHN DOES NOT MENTION THE INSTITUTION OF THE EUCHARIST. MATTHEW, MARK, AND LUKE MENTION IT, AND SO DOES ST. PAUL IN 1 CORINTHIANS 11. BUT JOHN DOESN'T MENTION IT. INSTEAD, HE GIVES A LONG TEACHING ABOUT THE BREAD OF LIFE, THE EUCHARIST, AND HOW IT IS NECESSARY. He does that in John 6. But we also see that the other three Gospels and Paul do not mention the foot washing. So they've got the institution of the Eucharist, but they don't include the foot washing. And this would be that St. John has another sense of its importance. Uh, it seems to be parallel to baptism in some ways, and he wants to link that very closely to the Last Supper. Um, we don't know the timing. Was the foot washing first or the, the giving of the Eucharist? Um, you know, Judas is there at the foot washing, uh, so and he was at the Eucharist. So that doesn't help us. Um, We just don't know. So instead of trying to figure out the exact timetable for it, we're going to focus on what St. John is trying to teach us about the importance and meaning of the foot washing. That's going to be key. Now, any of you who have attended the Holy Thursday service which is in the evening of Holy Thursdays when we have Holy Mass, that if you attend that, you would know that this is where uh, the the foot washing is related. And many parishes also have people, uh, usually it's supposed to have 12 men symbolizing the apostles having their feet washed. Uh, So that's uh, something that you can also see reenacted every Holy Thursday. What we want to start off with, though, is in paying close attention to the text of what St. John wrote. And he sees this as one more part of the spiritual battle TAKING PLACE AT THE LAST SUPPER. THIS IS THE FIGHT BETWEEN GOOD AND EVIL, BETWEEN JESUS AND SATAN. THAT'S ONE OF THE THINGS GOING ON. AND SO WE, we SEE, AND just, JUST BEFORE WE READ THE TEXT, PAY ATTENTION THAT ON ONE SIDE, SATAN HAS PUT BETRAYAL INTO THE HEART OF JUDAS ISCARIOT. ON THE OTHER SIDE, Jesus is fully aware of the Father's plan. He knows what the Father has planned. And this is the the, the battle. And we need to see the struggle, especially when we're dealing with, in our own times, uh, a struggle. The, the, The Pope is very, very clear on how he just said this at World Youth Day. He really laments the lack of Eucharistic adoration. And we've also seen over the years a lot of liturgical abuse and such. So this is something that we that the Eucharist is still going to be a place where this battle between uh, Satan and who puts betrayal into our hearts versus Jesus, and trust in the Father's plan. Let's take a look today at verses 2 to 5. It says, And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, AND THAT HE HAD COME FROM GOD AND WAS GOING TO GOD. THAT'S THE the CONTEXT OF THE BATTLE BETWEEN BETRAYAL INSPIRED BY JUDAS AND JESUS TRUST IN THE FATHER, HIS COMING FROM THE FATHER AND GOING TO THE FATHER. AT THAT POINT JESUS ROSE FROM SUPPER, LAID ASIDE HIS GARMENTS AND GIRDED HIMSELF WITH A TOWEL Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So this is something extremely important for us to understand, that uh, all of us are involved in the same contention, You know, it's naive to think that the devil does not want to turn us away from Jesus. He, that the devil doesn't want us to, you know, turn aside or neglect Jesus, or to run away from him. There's a lot of that that's going on, and there are a lot of reasons for it. You know, there are a lot of reasons. People are turning away from their own husbands and wives. Parents are turning away from their own children. That's some of the deepest natural bonds. If they do that easily enough, how would it be that Jesus would not be betrayed? And we, on the other hand, need to have this sense that Jesus knows where He came from. He came from the Father and that He was returning to the Father. He sees the bigger picture and He can put this spiritual battle into context. And this is a very important thing for all of us. When we are tempted to start neglecting church, when we're tempted to turn away from Christ or from uh, Him in the Eucharist, then we need to remember, I may be a mere tool on Satan's side, and I'm not going to give in to that. And in fact, I've been finding myself more and more uh, when experiencing temptation to pray the St. Michael prayer. St. Michael the Archangel defend us in battle. We're in a spiritual battle exactly as happened at the Last Supper. And we want him to defend us in battle and to be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil that it's easier than we think to be caught up into approving satanically inspired evil thoughts. And we need to be all the more guarded. A lot of people have their own plans and oftentimes they are willing to ally themselves with the devil in order to get what they want, uh, you've probably heard of Faust making a deal with the devil. Uh, this is a great poem by Goethe, the German poet, to show that it's not only Doctor Faustus who does that—that that makes a deal with the devil. So many of us make deals with the devil to go get what we want we align with him and this is something we all have to reject there is no need for that but we also find like the Apostles that we're too weak and therefore we have to make sure that we ask for God's help Saint Michael and his help with his angels and all the others This is a very, very important thing to keep in mind, okay? We'll stop there, and then we'll continue on next week with St. Peter, Uh, okay? So we'll go on with that. So now let's start to get some of your questions, and we're going to start off with a call. We have Ray in the great state of New York. Ray, what can we do for you? Well, thank you, Father. And God bless you. Thank you. Um, my question is, who received the Holy Spirit in the upper room? And did our Blessed Mother, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, receive him in a special way again? Great question, Ray. A couple things I want to set out as a principle if you, have you read Acts of the Apostles? No. Okay, I'm going to recommend that you do that for a couple reasons. One is that you'll see as you read Acts, the whole book of Acts, at least read up through chapter 5, okay? And one of the things you'll see is that the apostles and Our Lady and other disciples, there were 120 people altogether that had been gathered. You see that in uh, Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 1. And they all received. But then, after the first time that uh, Peter and John are arrested, they go back and the Holy Spirit is given to them again. In other words, that in fact, sometimes uh, folks, WE'LL SPEAK ABOUT CHAPTER 4 AS THE LITTLE PENTECOST. AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT SHOWS THE HOLY SPIRIT COMES MORE THAN ONCE INTO A PERSON'S LIFE. AND WITH EACH TIME, THERE ARE DIFFERENT MOVEMENTS GOING ON. SO IN ACTS CHAPTER 2, THE APOSTLES RECEIVE the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues and preach and teach. But then he comes again in chapter 4 and gives them power. Now, with Our Lady, she received the Holy Spirit and became the spouse of the Holy Spirit when she gave her fiat, when she said, let it be, and she became uh, and Christ was incarnate in her by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Pentecost is also a gift of the Holy Spirit because Our Lady is still finite. She is a human being. She is limited. And she does not have the Everything that the infinite Holy Spirit has to give her. So at Pentecost, she would receive even more. And if you want to think of it this way when Christ becomes flesh in her womb, that's as you said, she becomes the spouse of the Holy Spirit. But then, as happens with any spouse, a hope most spouses, is that when a husband loves his bride, he brings gifts to her, not just at the, the day he puts a, uh, an engagement ring on her finger, but also as they grow in their marriage, he might bring a beautiful necklace or some other gift. That's, that's one of the things that men do to show a, a little token OF THEIR LOVE FOR THEIR WIFE. AND THAT'S A GOOD THING. HE MIGHT BRING FLOWERS AND SUCH. THINK OF PENTECOST AS OUR LORD GIVING GIFTS TO OUR LADY AND THAT SHE TOO WILL BE EMPOWERED. AND I WOULD NOT BE SURPRISED THAT IF IT WAS AFTER PENTECOST THAT SHE WAS INVOLVED IN WRITING DOWN the, THE MATERIAL THAT WE SEE ABOUT THE BIRTH OF JOHN THE BAPTIST AND JESUS IN LUKE 1 AND 2, SHE MAY HAVE BEEN INVOLVED IN THAT WRITING. AND THAT WOULD BE GIVEN THE GIFT OF BEING AN EVANGELIST. SHE HAD SPOKEN AS AN EVANGELIST, BUT NOW SHE HAD THE GIFT TO WRITE. SO um, WHO KNOWS WHAT OTHER GIFTS OUR LORD GAVE HER? BUT THAT'S WHAT'S GOING ON. SO THE HOLY SPIRIT CAN GIVE GIFTS MORE THAN ONCE and Our Lady receives more than once, too. Okay? All right, we have Joel in Florida. Joel, what you got? Joel, are you there? Yes. Oh, there you are. So what what can we do for you today? What's that? You, you, you have a question? Yes. Uh, question what is asked, it? Before- was uh, if I have received communion during the day in the morning. Uh-huh. And, uh And there's someone uh, visiting a friend of mine and uh, brought them communion. And I was wondering if I can receive communion more than once. You I know, know it's necessary, but I was wondering if I uh, can right. receive that, any problems. Well, here's, here's the thing. that The church does allow us to receive communion more than once in a day uh, when there are special occasions. So, for instance, uh, uh, not unusual kind of uh, example that somebody was uh, at a Mass on a Saturday morning. They went to the regular morning Mass. But then they were asked to be part of a wedding and they would go to the wedding mass and the ceremony and they could receive again. And on special occasions, a person can receive more than once. But it's not something that we should do on a regular basis. Um, so So in the case of you're talking about, say somebody is receiving uh, the Eucharist during a sick visit or they're receiving viaticum right before they die. It may be, uh, would be a situation in which you could receive again, um, but it would not be something that you would do and say on a daily basis, I receive more than once. You can do it every so often, but not too often. You know, it's Again, you want to reserve that for special occasions when you would do that, okay? All right. We're gonna stop there and take a little break, so please stay with us and we'll be right back with more questions. Mm -hmm. Any questions? Right, just want to remind you to join me tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for EWTN Live. We will be speaking with John Henry Crosby of the Hildebrand Project to discuss the first published selection of essays by Catholic philosopher Alice von Hildebrand. She is the wife of Dietrich von Hildebrand. And she was a very popular guest here on EWTN, close friend of Mother Angelica. We will highlight her sparkling wit and poignant analysis, especially on topics like friendship, truth, and faithfulness. So that'll be a very important uh, topic. And especially these days, we could use a lot more friendship, a lot more truth, and faithfulness. All right, let's take an email here we have from Becky in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And Becky says, Father Mitch, I wonder if the angels have love for us. Do they follow us to heaven? Are they able to say to us things like the angel did to Zechariah? And do they respond to our behavior? Or are the messages all from God? Becky... IN VIRGINIA BEACH, VIRGINIA. WELL, BECKY, A COUPLE THINGS. Uh, THE MESSAGES ALL WOULD ORIGINATE FROM GOD. ANGELS DON'T MAKE UP STUFF, ALL RIGHT? THEY'RE NOT IN POLITICS. (laughs) AND SO THEY DO WHAT GOD SAYS, AND THEY SAY WHAT GOD SAYS, AND THEY MEAN WHAT GOD SAYS, OKAY? That SO ANY MESSAGE COMES FROM THEM. BUT AS WE SEE REPEATEDLY IN THE OLD AND IN THE NEW TESTAMENT, THAT ANGELS ARE SENT TO GIVE MESSAGES TO PEOPLE. SO SOMETIMES HE DOES. MOST TIMES THEY DON'T SPEAK TO US. Uh, BUT EVERY SO OFTEN IT MIGHT HAPPEN. It's IN FACT, IT SEEMS TO BE RARE ENOUGH THAT WHEN IT DOES HAPPEN, IT GETS INTO THE BIBLE. AND THERE MIGHT BE A FEW OTHER FOLKS WHO GET THOSE KIND OF MESSAGES. BUT WHAT THEY DO FOR US IS GIVE US VARIOUS INSPIRATIONS. THEY WILL FREQUENTLY INSPIRE US TO DO CERTAIN THINGS, TO AVOID CERTAIN AREAS OF TEMPTATION. THAT IS VERY TYPICAL FOR THEM. And most importantly is, of course, they love us. This is very much why they're God's angels. Now, Satan's angels, you can be sure of this, Satan's angels hate us. Even if they look, you know, like they're pleasant, if there's something that, that, as a matter of fact, Uh, I remember years ago there was a book called The Beautiful Side of Evil, that there is uh, a uh, quality that sometimes the bad spirits can put on to be beautiful in a certain sense. But it's usually a cold uh, kind of beauty. It's not the beauty that embraces you, but a harsh beauty. And it shows its evil quality after a while. I, I didn't see it. I didn't have any interest. But there was even a movie called The Devil Wears Prada. Um, I, I, I take it that that's some kind of a shoe, uh, you know, fancy shoe. Um, but be that as it may, that they can try to imitate beauty, but it's always something that dazzles and leaves somebody cold. And that's because the devils hate us. But God's angels very much love us. Now, will they? Uh, how will we know them in heaven and meet them? I, th- that part, uh, I've not been to heaven. Um, you know, so I'll have to wait and find out. I think hopefully our guardian angel, I've oftentimes said, you know, that, um, I've been the cause of a certain amount of high blood pressure in my guardian angel, if he had blood. So, um, we'll just have to wait for that. Okay. And see what happens. But yes, they do love us very much. Okay. Now, we have another email. This one is from Joe. It says, Father Mitch, I've been watching the Eucharistic service every day now for a number of years. I have a question. I read that the priest should not mix hosts, the wafers, that have been previously blessed with hosts that have just been newly blessed that morning. And yet I've noticed they are mixed together and put into the tabernacle at the EWTN service. Your thoughts, Joe? Well, Joe, I, I don't know who had said that to you, but there is no rule saying that you cannot put the newly consecrated hosts with the hosts that were consecrated at an earlier Mass. There's nothing that, to prevent that. Uh, Normally, I will distribute hosts that I just consecrated at the mass that I am celebrating so that those folks, you know, uh, would be the ones who get them. But if there are more than I can distribute, I would definitely uh, just put those into the tabernacle because they, you know, the host, whether... NEWLY CONSECRATED OR CONSECRATED AT AN EARLIER MASS, THEY'RE ALL THE SAME JESUS CHRIST. IT'S THE SAME BODY OF CHRIST. SO the, the, it's, THEY DON'T GET STALE, OKAY? SO um, THAT'S ONE OF THE THINGS. AND, YOU KNOW, PEOPLE uh, MAY EXPECT TO RECEIVE HOST CONSECRATED AT THE MASTER ATTENDING, BUT THAT'S NOT NECESSARY. You know, it's still the same Lord Jesus that doesn't fade or add or diminish or anything like that at all. Okay, so that's very important. All right, then we have an email from Francis in Indiana. Uh, Father Mitch, a quote, born-again, unquote, friend said Mary was a good person BUT SHE STILL HAD TO BE SAVED BY JESUS AND BORN AGAIN AS THE UPPER ROOM AT PENTECOST. WHAT SHOULD I TELL HER, FRANCIS IN INDIANA? WELL, FIRST, STICK VERY MUCH WITH WHAT THE SCRIPTURE SAYS. YOU KNOW, THE BIBLE DOESN'T SAY THAT OUR LADY IS SIMPLY A GOOD PERSON. (laughs) THAT'S NOT WHAT IT SAYS. WHAT THE ANGEL OF GOD, WE TALKED ABOUT ANGELS BEFORE, WHAT THE ANGEL GABRIEL SAYS TO HER, HAIL, FULL OF GRACE, THE LORD IS WITH YOU. THAT'S NOT JUST BEING A GOOD PERSON. THERE ARE A LOT OF GOOD PERSONS OUT THERE, BUT THAT'S NOT WHAT THE, HEY, MARY, YOU'RE A GOOD PERSON. I LIKE YOU. THAT'S NOT WHAT HE SAYS. HAIL, FULL OF GRACE. AND IF SHE IS FULL OF GRACE, THERE'S NO ROOM FOR SIN. And furthermore, the Lord is with you. And then we see later on that the Holy Spirit comes into Elizabeth. What does the Holy Spirit speak through Elizabeth? Blessed are you among women. That's not just a good person. She is, and that's uh, the phrase, blessed are you among women, is Uh, an Aramaic way to express she is the most blessed woman ever. You're the most blessed woman because they don't have the word most in Aramaic. So they would use this blessed among women means in their idiom, the most blessed woman. That's not just a good person. She's more blessed than our mother Eve or any other woman. THAT EVER EXISTED. AND THE GUYS ARE NOT EVEN IN THE RUNNING. SO THAT'S ANOTHER KEY FACTOR THAT SCRIPTURE SAYS. AND GET YOUR FRIEND, she, SHE CLAIMS TO BE BORN AGAIN, SHE NEEDS TO READ WHAT THE SCRIPTURE SAYS ABOUT THE BLESSED MOTHER. AND THEN WE SEE OUR LADY HERSELF SAY, BY THE POWER OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognizes that God is her Savior. Now, the way He saves her is not by pulling her out of sin, the way He does for us, but He saves her by preventing her from going into the sin. He didn't just pull... Us, he pulls out of the quicksand of sin. Our Lady, he stops from going in there so that when God takes flesh in her womb, she can be the appropriate vessel. Just like the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was covered with gold as a sign of how holy and important that is. Our lady is full of grace. Gold couldn't do it. But the grace of God can. And that is something that your friend has to pay closer attention to. If you want, get your friend, a book I wrote called Mary, Virgin, Mother, and Queen, a Bible study. uh, And look at that Bible study. AND SEE THE PASSAGES AND TAKE A CAREFUL LOOK AT WHAT THE BIBLE SAYS ABOUT OUR LADY SO YOU DON'T WATER HER DOWN. TELL YOUR FRIEND TO BE CAREFUL NOT TO WATER DOWN THE BIBLE MESSAGE. PAY CLOSE ATTENTION TO THE BIBLE MESSAGE ABOUT MARY both what is said in the Old Testament about her and what is said in the Gospels about her. And that in the face of it, uh, we you know, look to her as not only the virgin who, in whose womb Jesus was conceived, but we also look to her as our mother because Jesus gave her to us and as our queen, as we see crowned in the book of Revelation. So have your friend look at that, okay? do it with her. Do Bible study with her. All right. Thank you all for being with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by His peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let's remind you that the network is brought to you by you. So we ask you to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and cable bill, because Mother was inspired by our Lord to have you support this rather than commercials. God bless you all for your support and thank you.